the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello, everyone. I'm George Roscoe. And I'm Mark Schneider. And we want to welcome you to today's episode 41 of Say What, where we talk about the threats to our children in the public school system, including how teachers' constitutional rights are increasingly being challenged in the public schools. That's right, George. You know, today we're going to explore an issue that we've actually talked about before, teachers' rights. But today we're going to deal with it in terms of specific situations that teachers uh, are increasingly facing across the country. Um, our listeners have no doubt heard about episodes where teachers' uh, constitutional rights are being fringed um, a- across the nation in different situations, and we're gonna we're gonna use the time that we have today to talk about five of these particular situations and talk about um, teachers' legal rights with respect to those five situations. And you know, Mark, every time we do a conference, we, we typically have few brave teachers who come up to us and will either whisper stuff or gently let us know that it's probably worse than we think. Yeah, that's right. Um, and, and so I think this is, you know, episode 41. We, we've decided to finally focus one on teachers after 40 of these, uh, because teachers play such a vital role in, uh, protecting and kind of being the, the dam to hold back the filth that is being exposed to our kids. They really do. They're on the front lines of the war that uh, we are engaged in to preserve uh, our, our kids' innocence, really, mm-hmm. in the public schools. They're the first line of defense. And so we need to give them all the support and encouragement we can to, um, you know, to stay strong in, in the public school system. Um, I, I do need to point out a disclaimer, though. We are not giving any specific legal advice. Uh, in this, uh, in the next 30 minutes or so. So this is just general information we're, we're giving out. If you have a specific situation that needs legal addressing, then we encourage you to seek out legal counsel for that. Most definitely. So with that, George, um, the first situation that teachers, uh, may end up facing is having to teach materials that offend their moral conscience. And we know what those materials are, mm-hmm. uh, comprehensive sexuality education. And this can start as early as kindergarten where, you know, teachers are being asked. Uh, sometimes uh, demands are being made upon them to teach material that they don't like. They don't want to have anything to do with this. And by rights, they shouldn't have anything to do with it. Um, another example, of course, is critical race theory. Yeah, and that's been exploding over the last uh, year and a half here. So, Mark, what do teachers have in their toolbox, so to speak, when it comes to this scenario? Yeah, well, the first thing to point out is that there's a famous case that goes back to 1969. This is the Supreme Court. Uh, it's one that we've talked about before, and it's called Tinker versus Des Moines Independent Community School District. And basically the court said in that case – 
The teachers do not shed their constitutional rights to freedom of speech or expression at the schoolhouse gate. So even though they're working in a public school and they're required to teach certain materials, they still have certain constitutional rights. But there's a little bit of tension with respect to uh, case law. And that is that there are certain state statutes, particularly here in California, that have been passed uh, by the, the state legislature that do require that certain curriculum materials be taught in the classroom. George, as you and I both know, mm-hmm. AB 329, famous law passed in 2015, requires that this curriculum of comprehensive sex ed be taught in middle school and again in high school. But as you and I both know, it's often being taught in grade school as well. Yeah, it allows it for K through uh, through sixth grade, and that is basically left at the discretion of the local school districts. And many of them are teaching it, unfortunately. So um, that is a law, and uh, teachers have to follow the law. So there, there's a little bit of a tension there. Another one that just recently passed is Assembly Bill 101 in California that requires that uh, California's version of critical race theory, ethnic studies, uh, must be taught in high school for high school graduation. So here's the tension. Mm-hmm. You're a teacher in the public school. Uh, you're in a particular classroom or setting, whether it's grade school, middle school, high school, and all of a sudden the school district now is requiring you to teach maybe, you know, part of this curriculum. What can you do if you are personally offended by this? Well, There are a number of things that you can do. First of all, uh, there's kind of an overriding rule here. Schools do have the power to choose the curriculums that are going to be taught. A teacher really can't control that. That, that is established by state, state law. But teachers can request if they have a moral objection to the material that's being taught for an exemption. And this falls under Title Seven. It's called a workplace exemption. And they can ask for this. And if the a school if they're at all accommodating, they should be reasonable and give teacher the accommodation that they're asking for. Look, they may say there there are certain parts of this curriculum that are okay. I, I can teach this, you know, I, I can probably do this, but there are certain sections in the curriculum. I just can't morally teach this. And so I'm going to ask for this Title VII workplace exemption. And the school, if they're reasonable, they should accommodate that. And and even better yet, teachers, I've talked to teachers who have basically <laughs> said, George, there's no way we could cover every single word on every single page when we teach on any subject. So we, we have to make a decision. What what do we go through? <laughs> so use your moral judgment um, and so I, we, we highly encourage you. you. You are, like we said, that dam, that last line of defense. Yeah, behind the, the closed door of the classroom, teachers have tremendous power and influence. And so they can use their personal discretion on what they're going to emphasize in these curriculums and what they're not going to emphasize. But here's the rub, George. Uh, in these laws, uh, provision is made that if a teacher has a moral objection mm-hmm. or they do end up getting an exemption, in certain cases, and this is particularly true of comprehensive sex ed, 
the school district can bring in an outside resource to teach this material. So, for example, we know of specific situations where Planned Parenthood has been brought in to teach sex ed. Um, even sometimes when a teacher is willing to do it, they just think that the Planned Parenthood could be more effective in teaching this. Yep. So sometimes the cure is worse than the disease. In these kinds of situations, conservative, particularly Christian teachers, should ask themselves, maybe I shouldn't seek an exemption to teach this. Maybe I should be the one in control of how I'm going to portray this information and do the best they can to minimize the damage to the students in the in, in that particular situation. I agree, and especially in the case of CSE, I've, I've heard because I've also experienced this in my school district. Um, our school board asked for a special committee to be formed oh. uh, that would review curriculum. And that included some teachers. And so I'm, you know, I'm thinking that if you're a teacher, volunteer yourself. That's right. To be on those committees and to be, um, you know, one of the reviewers and you could even block this stuff from coming in before the board approves it. Yeah. Yeah, you could be strategically placed in that situation to, to protect the children. So yes. uh, be mindful of that. So that's the first situation, you know, curriculums that you have a moral objection to. Here's the second one, George. Do I, as a public school teacher employed by the school district, am I required to use preferred gender pronouns? whether with respect to a student in the classroom that wants me to use this preferred gender pronoun, or maybe in a professional capacity, for example, on a business card. And unfortunately, George, we are hearing of situations where school districts are demanding because they want to set a sort of a woke example requiring teachers to put on their business cards what their preferred gender pronoun is. It's part of this whole DEI policies that are just flooding our school districts. It, they, they really are. And there's a couple of uh, notable examples we have that have wound their way through the, uh, through the federal courts and, and state courts. The, the general answer to this question, do I need to use preferred gender pronouns, either w- with respect to a student, another teacher, or on a business card, generally the answer is absolutely no, you do not have to do that. Let me give you two examples. There was a, uh, a teacher named Tanner Cross. Maybe some of our listeners are familiar with that name. This is a, a, a physical ed teacher in Loudoun County, Virginia, who was suspended merely for refusing to agree with these kinds of policies in the, in the Loudoun County School District at a school board meeting. So he was really sort of acting as a private citizen. He said, I just don't agree with this. And he was voicing his his objection. And he was suspended from being a teacher. Say what? Say what? I say what moment. Fortunately, uh, the court said, no, you've gone too far here. And he was reinstated in his position, which is a very good thing. Uh, a more recent case involves a professor at uh, Shawnee State uh, University in Ohio. He's a college professor. His name is Nicholas Merriweather. And he refused to use a student's preferred gender 
pronoun, and he was reprimanded for that, and he was also facing termination. And the Sixth Circuit uh, heard this case, and they, in a unanimous opinion, said that the school had violated uh, Professor Mary's Weathers' free speech and free exercise civil rights. They said, Mm. you cannot do that. In fact, uh, under the the Supreme Court, the Sixth Circuit said the First Amendment protects the academic speech of university professors. Since Meriwether has plausibly alleged that Shawnee State violated his First Amendment rights by compelling his speech, in other words, you're requiring me to use this preferred gender pronoun, it casts a pall of orthodoxy on the classroom, which the court says... That violates constitutional rights. You cannot do that. In fact, George, the a Trump appointee uh, justice on the court, Amul Thapar, uh, he's the one who penned the unanimous decision in this case. This is what he said, quote, If professors lacked free speech protections when teaching, a university would wield alarming power to compel ideological conformity. A university could require a pacifist to declare that war is just, a civil rights icon to condemn the freedom writers, a believer to deny the existence of God, or a Soviet emigree to address his students as comrades. (laughs) This, the justice said, cannot be. Yes, uh, and this is a very good news for our teachers because even here in California, even though it's it's a law that first applies to healthcare workers that was passed back in 2017, it's been working through our state court system. Yeah, that's right. And so far, uh, it's been found that it's violating people's uh, free speech, and that law was specifically for uh, the 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 healthcare workers. Yeah. Um, but so right now it's moved up to the state Supreme Court, but every lower court has ruled in our favor. And I, I think it's the state Supreme Court's going to do the same. There's just no way to get around your First Amendment rights here. No. And a line definitely has to be drawn. If, if you don't draw it here, where are you going to draw yep. it? So, uh, you know, obviously we encourage teachers to be respectful, to use discretion, to be kind. Uh, but also, they should not do anything that violates their 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 conscience. So that's the second situation. The third situation is: what about statements that I am asked to sign on to? That I have? Do I have to agree to them? So, for example, there might be a diversity, equity, and inclusion statement of principle that a school has, and they're requiring all their teachers to sign on to this, that you are going to abide by these principles. Mm. What is the situation there? And again, George, we've heard of situations where teachers are being asked to sign these kinds of statements. Well, like uh, being asked to use preferred gender pronouns, the answer is no. Those kinds of statements have been considered compelled speech. When you're asking to sign on to something, it's as if you were speaking it yourself. Yeah. And you do not have to do that. So, to, uh, you know, there, there is a distinction, though. So if you're being asked to sign something that is an ideology, an orthodoxy, a belief system, absolutely you do not have to sign it. What about something that says, I understand this is school policy? 
So you may be asked to sign something that you don't necessarily agree with, but that's not what they're asking you to sign. All they're asking you to sign is you've read this and you understand that this is school policy, not that I agree with it. It's kind of like uh, when I was in high school, Mark, and in my uh, AP bio class, <laughs> I wrote in my responses on many questions, I understand that Charles Darwin believed in the theory of evolution. <laughs> George, why doesn't that surprise me that I can see you doing that when you were in, in, in high school? That, that's amazing. Well, the same principle applies here. You, you probably do have to sign that, at least an attestation that, yes, I understand what the policy is. I don't agree with it, but I understand what it is. So that's an area that you, you probably do have to sign. Well, what George, what about being required to attend diversity, equity, and inclusion training classes or other kinds of classes that you may find offensive? Yeah, and this is a touchy one because I see this even in corporate America. Um, they are pushing so much of this stuff down and they do it in various kind of webinars and seminars. I think the most un, uncanny way they do it, for example, unconscious bias training. Mm. Like that, okay, yeah, I, I'm not a biased person, so yeah, let me go. And we have these all the time at my work. But these are all just euphemisms. You know, th- there is an ideology behind them, and all the examples that they end up using are DEI stuff and CRT stuff. Yep. Yeah, we recently heard, uh, well, we got a call actually from uh, a number of teachers uh, in the San Diego school district that were being asked. It it was touted as a voluntary training session for diversity, equity, inclusion. But there's sort of a soft pressure there. Mm -hmm. You know, if if you don't attend this, well, you're you're definitely uh, an outlier. So you you need to attend. You don't have to. It's not required, but you're not going to be part of the team uh, unless you um, unless you attend this session. Well, here's here's what to watch for, George. Does the training require you to make certain speech professions that violate your First Amendment rights or your free exercise rights? So are you being asked as part of this training session to make pronouncements that Mm -hmm. you agree with it or that you will follow it? There is a line that you do not have to cross. You can say, nope, uh, I may have to attend the training session, but I'm not going to agree with what's in the training session. Uh, either if, if you're being asked to say certain things or if it offends your sincerely held religious beliefs, you don't, you don't have to attend that. And a lot of times it's, it's just like, it's as simple as an innocent as, well, uh, do you want to be an ally? Do you want to be an ally to the LGBTQ cause or an ally to people of color? Yeah. And that again is a term that's used and abused now. Because who doesn't want to be an ally? I want to be supportive of you. Of course. Um, but they, they just hook you in with that kind of stuff. They do. In fact, recently um, there was a, a Jewish psychiatrist who was a faculty member at Stanford University. And uh, he was – they required him to attend a DEI seminar that he described as completely anti-Semitic. 
And he filed as a result of this a federal complaint with uh, with the EEOC. In fact, he, he said that he was forced to read White Fragility by Robin DiAngelo and Ooh. separate with others into groups <laughs> by race. The seminar said the Jews were guilty by association because they could hide behind their white identity and oppression. Say what? Yeah, no, no joke. This really happened. As if Jews were a particularly racial homogeneous group, right? Uh-huh. They come in all flavors of ethnic ethnic groups. So it didn't make any sense at all. So here's a good example of required training where this guy stood his ground and said, no, I'm, I'm not going to do that. And he filed a complaint with the EEOC. And so we would encourage uh, if you find yourself in a similar situation, you follow the example that this uh, professor didn't do the same thing. If you are required to do it, though, um, you should document the incident. It's a very good thing to do. In fact, I, I would encourage teachers to try and attend these things if they can at all do it and have witnesses. Document what you're being required to learn, right? This is, these are public schools. It should be public information. And this could be very powerful in the future. Um, for an expose, for legal evidence, yep. for other purposes. Reveal those documents, That's expose right. them. Shine the light. Yes. There's nothing like the antiseptic of light. That That's really powerful. Okay, finally, George, we're running out of time here. There's one last thing, big question. Can I share my faith Ooh. and my political beliefs? It's a good question. Great, great question. The answer is it depends, okay? Um, if it is a private conversation, you can share your faith or your political views. But now you have to be very careful because if you're in a classroom setting and you've got a captive audience of students and you're in the middle of teaching a curriculum subject, mm-hmm. well, it's hard to argue that that is a private conversation. Yep. But what about when class is over and you're having a conversation with a student and they're asking you some personal questions or you're in the hallway or you're in the parking lot and you just happen to strike up a conversation with with a student. Is there any limitation on you sharing your personal belief or political views? And the answer is absolutely not. You can do that. The courts typically um, ask three questions. Number one, are you speaking in a capacity as a private citizen or in the scope of employment as a public employee? Mm -hmm. Question number one. If you're speaking as a private citizen, are you speaking on a matter of public concern? Because if you are, there is even more constitutional protection. Mm -hmm. The schools always have a balancing test. Does the school have a compelling interest to restrict the speech because it's disrupting the school environment? Like it may be private speech, but if it's offensive, if you're using foul language, then then absolutely the school can step in and say, you may be speaking privately, but you can't do this here. And, of course, they would have a good cause. But other than that, if you're using discretion and you're speaking in a private capacity, you can share your faith. Yeah. And, uh, Mark, I'll just add that if teachers have any questions or further, you know, get a lot more details, um, 
there is an organization that we've partnered with quite a bit called Gateways for Better Education. Yes, great organization. And Eric Buer leads that. He has a ton of good trainings that you could attend, um, and they're, they're all free. Um, and uh, it gives you a lot of Q&As on the website. So um, Gateways for Better Education. Um, and then if you want more information, teachers, please go on to our website, protectourkidsnow.org. Um, we, we're running out of time here, so we got to wrap this up. Uh, but, Mark, uh, thank you for taking us through these five very important and critical questions. Uh, teachers, please um, either visit Gateways for Better Education with Eric Buer or our website, protectourkidsnow.org, and you can find a lot more information on these topics. Indeed. We'll see you next time. Take care. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.